Hi, and welcome to Song Divers, an interview podcast about singer-songwriters. We like to go deep in conversation with our favorite musicians in search of honest answers. What are the ingredients of a great song? What makes a songwriter tick? Can a musician make a living these days? Is Jason Isbell overrated? What? My name is Stefan. And this is Ed. Hang on to your hats, kids, because we've got part two of our interview with one bad but quite pleasant Mamma Jamma. But first, a quick look into the not-too-distant future to get you excited about our upcoming episodes. Those include guests Lydia Luce, Cave McCoy of Grey Market, Danny and Alex, and Andrew Duhon, just to name a few. For our local listeners, a few Song Divers-related concerts to put on the calendar... Upcoming guest, Cave McCoy's band Grey Market, will be at Crowbar in Ybor City, March 29th. Andrew Duhan and Lydia Luce co-headlining a tour, and they'll be here in Clearwater April 7th at Ruth Eckerd Hall's Murray Theatre. And Ed and I will be performing April 13th as part of the Hideaway Cafe's 10-year anniversary festival here in St. Petersburg. Ed with his band, and then later with me and Mercy McCoy. We hope to see you at those shows. And we would love to say hi if you've been enjoying the podcast. Now, where were we? Ah, right. Our guest. Hi, my name is Ronnie Elliott. Glad to be here. I only want to be with the ones who burn, burn, burn. Ones in love with the night, they light up like a cigarette. I only want to be with the ones who burn, burn, burn. Ones with fire in their soul, little or nothing to forget. Welcome to part two of our interview with Ronnie Elliott, the Tampa troubadour of the lost, the lovelorn, the shopworn, the revered, and the rejected. A man who's not afraid to drop names, big names but only because he still pinches himself that he's gotten to meet so many of his rock and roll idols. I'm walking around heaven, diamond dust on my shoes, all the angels are naked, singing the blues, I got a copy of Lolita, just in case I need it, a monkey on my back, try not to beat it. Ronnie will tell you that he keeps writing the same two or three songs over and over again. But anyone who's listened to any of his dozen or so albums can tell you that there's much more to him than that. Ronnie will also be the first to tell you that he's lived a charmed life. He manages to pack a lot of that charm into every line of his songs. Honest, humble, funny, insightful. We hope you enjoy spending time with Ronnie Elliott as much as we have. You didn't start writing until... How old were you? Uh, I probably started when I was 16 or Sorry, 17 say, years re- old. recording your own records. Oh, yeah. No, I did not do that. Um, it, it was like 1980-something or something like that. And so, were, so you had like a whole catalog built up. You were ready uh, to... Well, uh, yes and no. no. Most things have been... Re- I typically write when I'm getting ready to record because there's a reason to write. <laughs> so if there's anything built up, it's just scraps of paper you know sitting around it's not i don't bother to finish songs i mean to but i don't get around to it and i'm too lazy well that's really interesting so your ambition as a songwriter like what was it was it to feel like elvis was it to because you wanted to say certain things i mean there's almost a a you know flowing freeform just stream of consciousness I think that to what you're doing, but then I hear it. I'm like, no, there's, there's actually a lot of real, like you're telling a very specific story a lot of times. It, yeah. Usually there is a story and, uh, and, and occasionally I don't even understand it until, you know, time goes by after I've written it. But, um, I, I have just begun to realize that I think I write songs and I sing songs to, um, communicate with people because, uh, here we go again. I have only found out in the last uh, year or two that I am socially awkward, <laughs> even though people have been trying to tell me that for a very long time. But I think it is just a need to uh, communicate. So instead of thinking, um, I mean, I would play around with the idea of success, but I, 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 
I really write for a very small audience to communicate with, you know, the people right in front of me. And that's kind of it. Uh, and by the time I started to do things by myself, it didn't take me very long to start to figure out, well, I'm kind of a critic's darling. You know, these people say these really nice things. And it occurred to me pretty quickly, you know, they like me because they think, hey, nobody knows about this. You know, they, they think they're in on something that, uh, and, and if there was anything, they would be. But it, it, you know, it's like, okay, I'll take it, you know. So I play for them too. I, um, I've always had friends who are critics, and uh, I guess that's how I meet them. But I suppose my ambition, if you can stretch it to call it ambition, is just to communicate with the people right in front of me. Well, I think you're also a wordsmith, though, like, and that attracts other writers, too. You're very literate writer. Uh, it, well, it's not. It, I, I mean, I, I think it's frequently offbeat compared to regular pop music sort of things. Sure. I, but I think that's I think that's what I if, if they would assign us a, a poem to write in English in high school, I would get in trouble because it would be, you know, I wasn't looking for the obscure and the odd, but I, I seem to be able to find it anyway. So well, yeah. there is there is a, a very I mean, you know, songwriting two degree is poetry, but there's a very poetic, you know, vibe to everything that you're doing. Like that was very clear to me that, you know, almost like a. a like at one point in a song, you'll be sitting there going like, this is like spoken word performance art. And then all of a sudden it's like, this is one of the most melodic songs I've ever heard, you know? And, and Lottie's a good, good example of that, you know, where it has both, both dichotomies. I, I do love, um, I do love melody. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I mean, I'm a pop music guy, you know, I love, um, in fact, this is probably rougher for you to work through than it is for me, but, um, by the time John Lennon was writing a lot by himself, it, it seemed to me sometimes that he would he would change melodies because of his limited ability to play chords that weren't just very standardized. And sometimes I, I, it sounds to me almost like it, it, it's at the expense of what might have been an even better John Lennon song if he had, had just gone with his uh, limitations, you know. And it was, it, and I'm guessing. This is from talking to therapists, I'm sure. I'm guessing that it has something to do with spending all those years of, uh, of him and Paul competing with each other, you know. To and, and with Paul, it comes naturally. He's so musically, yeah, adept, right. And, yeah. and he he it's can disgusting, he can, yes. But he can do those chords where it's like this is what I had in mind for this melody. And right. sometimes with John, it sounded to me like it was a forced thing. I got you. Yeah. And, and uh, oh, and there's still you know songs that I love. But sometimes, you know, it took away a little bit from my favorite John Lennon songs, I think. Because you felt he was maybe trying to stretch. Yeah, I felt like there was a, a, a melody that I would hum forever if he had gone where it wanted to go naturally. Hmm. And he was looking for a chord that uh, he had not played yet, you know. That's interesting. Yeah. It's, it, and it's interesting from a writing perspective. I've talked a little bit about a few other episodes about this idea that people do have to different levels, but some innate, you know, listening ability and certain chords, like certain colors make you feel certain things, Oh yeah, you know? And so yeah. I think that there's something to, I've been with plenty of, you know, or I've been in plenty of bands where the, the lead writer was like, yeah, that's like, this is a good song. And they're like, no, it's too, it's too typical. It's yeah. too routine, yeah. you know? And it's interesting to think about, you know, again, the difference between Paul and, uh, and John in that way. Because it, you you can hear. I mean, if you think about the where John went, yeah, you know, it, whereas Paul, for the most part, kept doing what he was doing. Yeah, it, 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 to me, the best of all of it was the stuff like, uh, well, the, the just those first three things that we would hear over and over on the radio. Please, please, me, and she loves you, and I want to hold your hand. All of those. That, that's the part of the Beatles mystique that I was talking about that I compared to Elvis thing. It's like, what is it about the, that, that they just don't sound like anything and they have some of the unusual things, you know, they'll, they'll end something on a sixth, just so it's got a feel that they have in mind. But basically they all feel like I've heard this forever. And on the other hand, at the same time in the beginning, it's like, I've never heard anything like this in, in my life and the hair on your arm standing up. Right. Yeah, right. So. There's something about yep. the way they do yep. it. 
then you again you hear the same chords the same way from somebody two seconds earlier you know with the same instrument and it's just their touch yeah you know yeah the the, the i mean certainly they got more proficient as writers and musicians over a period of time but they never did anything that topped like those three songs for me in terms of that impact that I'm talking about. Uh, lyrically, they probably did with the influence of Bob Dylan and other things. But musically, that Beatles mystique was right there in the beginning for me. And it, and it seems to be John plus Paul with a good dose of George in there, you know. So. George was paying attention and he, yeah. I think he caught up yep, later. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And Ringo married a Bongo. <laughs> so uh, Ringo, yeah, he's way up there for me. So can we go back to the? I want to go back to the dark and sad comment. The the writer, the interviewer that you talked to. Yeah, yeah, me too. Because and then to what Stefan said, like there's so much positive. You know, when I listen to your most of your songs, what really comes through is you really do believe in peace, yeah. lo- love, and understanding. Right. And that's really what drives you. But there's an interesting vein where you, you, uh, I want to ask specifically about murder ballads. You know, <laughs> I, I, I just, um, I, I introduced a song not too long ago somewhere on stage and said something about, you don't hear many songs that are written from the point of view of the murder. Right. And just a day or two ago, I was thinking, I've got three of them that I, I can know, think of. And I it's know. like, well, that's kind of creepy, you know? Well, you know, it's a tradition in American Appalachian like yeah. country music, and I wondered if that was... No, I've never no. had any particular... I mean, when I hear those things, I guess I'm fascinated like anybody else and maybe a little put off by it, you know, creepy. But uh, uh, let's see, all three of mine I sort of wrote as my idea of kind of a joke, you know, of making fun of that kind of thing. But the, they uh, see now that that's not how I took. No, it. they, they, they sound so creepy to me when I hear them. It's like, Oh man, that's, they are, uh, that's disturbing. That's they're a, creepy and disturbing, but they're also interesting. And like you said, they force you into the point of view, especially for me, like Mr. Edison's electric chair. Well, I did it. Uh, we, uh, we did, uh, Dave Marsh was doing his uh, radio show from Austin uh, one time during South by Southwest. And uh, he asked me to come by and, and I did a couple of songs and I did um, Mr. Edison's electric chair and made him cry on his radio show. Did you really? Yeah. And he thanked me for, you know, doing that. And, and, you know, and to him, it was like, this is a message against the death penalty. And it is sort of. But it was never written as a blatant, I'm going to write a protest song about how terrible, I mean, even though I, that's why I don't like Edison. I think he was a bad guy, and the electric chair is a, a a perfect example of what a bad guy he was. But the song didn't have any import as I wrote it. I didn't mean to hurt that kid. I just wanted to show him a little fun. Cola bottle's not a real weapon, I don't even own a gun. I never would have touched that little girl but for voices in my head. I thought she was just sleeping, I didn't know she was dead. Yeah, they wash me up and shave my hair they're gonna put me in mr edison's electric chair but it's one i stuck on to when i was going and doing my homework for this episode i listened to a lot and that was when i i re-listened to that one three or four times um because there's a when i say simplicity simplicity in just the style of music it's a you know it's a very standard type of approach but something in the way you're choosing your words and sticking them together. It just really resonated. Um, and I was definitely emotionally affected by it. And I thought interesting too, in that on your recording, you changed words a little bit too. It's so like you say the electric chair a couple times and then you say electrical chair later. Yeah. And you change up your timing a little bit too. And I don't, is that intentional? Uh, it's not intentional. I, I don't decide that I'm going to make a change, but I do always go into things considering that I don't ever want to do the same thing twice. So yeah, <laughs> it, it's, 
hard to answer yes or no, but it's, uh, it's, yeah, it, it makes other people nervous. Uh, Rebecca Pulley hates singing with me because it's obviously not going to be like the last time. So, uh, <laughs> and that poor girl can do anything and she can learn and do it perfectly the next time, but uh, not with me. She can't. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think too, you know, for, my dad's a great lover of music and he reads a ton and the stuff that he loves the most are those imperfections, the accidents, oh, the, yeah. you know, like that's the really special stuff, which is so funny to think about when you think of all the time you spend getting the perfect take. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I have no interest in perfection. It's a, uh, I mean, not in, well, I say that I, I'm as blown away as anybody when I hear, you know, something that is perfect, but uh, what has always, you know, gone to my core has been the imperfection that you're talking about. Yeah. They just released, well, I guess it's a couple of years now, but re-released Sgt. Pepper's and you hear some of those outtakes and it's just, those are some of the coolest yeah. things. And I don't know if that's because you've heard it the same way already and there's so much, you know, legacy and mystique behind it. But there is some quality to hearing things well, broken down uh, uh, or stripped down. All of those, um, whatever it is, 12, 14 songs uh, of Bob Dylan and Johnny Cash together. I mean, that's the worst stuff I've ever heard. <laughs> and it's some of the best stuff that I've ever heard. It's like, this is this is the real thing. It's a uh, Talk uh, about out, outtakes that I, I I feel like the... Have you heard the More Blood on the Tracks no stuff from Bob Dylan. Well, I might have heard a little of it. Yeah, that stuff oh, yeah. is great. Like a lot of those, I think, beat the takes that ended up on the record. Yeah, and I'm sure it's the producer saying, "Well, that was fine, but now let's we yeah. got to make a hit record, yeah. so we're not going to use that. Right. Let's do a different arrangement." Some of that stuff is just brilliant. Well, like, I think I think typically the earlier the take, the better you're going to have as a record. I mean, you, let's face it. Rock and roll is not a rehearsed art, you know. That's just there's a contradiction in terms in there somewhere, right? And uh, uh, oh, and I think you know, as sad as it's always seemed to me, it's why I'm such a proponent of heroin in rock and roll. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> God, would I mean, we yeah. would we have ever had Ray Charles? You know, with that, I mean, that that is just uh, some of the stuff that moved me even further when I was still a kid. I mean, I had no idea it was heroin, but I knew something wasn't normal about that. And uh, I mentioned Jesse Edwin Davis, uh, you know, a few minutes ago. I mean, how can he not play that frequently? And nearly as I can tell, the answer is heroin. You know, I mean, it really uh, had an effect. And, you know, it gets even sadder. Well, it can't get much sadder than that because that's how he died. But, um uh, Charlie Parker and, and some of the people who suffered so greatly for us to have some of that. Um, it, it, it just comes from a place in the soul that is not meant to be exposed. And it's kind of the opposite. If it's Charlie Parker, it's going to be perfect anyway. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, my favorite Charlie Parker stuff, and the only Charlie Parker stuff for the most part that I truly love is Charlie Parker with Strings. And I was always embarrassed to tell all those jazz guys that. And uh, my friend Hugh Williams said, well, you know, that was Charlie Parker's favorite Charlie Parker album, too. So I was like, okay, I don't feel so bad about it anymore. <laughs> I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, right. Which brings us to our next sponsor, Black Tar Heroin. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that you say about exposing parts of the soul that aren't meant to be exposed. Yeah. When you talked earlier uh, about part of your reason for writing was this little bit of anti-socialism. Yeah. Um, and that you wanted to communicate, but those, th- that was like some, you just wanted to communicate. It wasn't these things that were meant to be hidden and shouldn't have been exposed. You were writing because you had just normal things. It sounds like you were trying to just connect with people. Well, you know, the, the thing that you heard when I was a kid and that I presume kids still hear is that, yeah, you, and of course it's even a whole lot better now because of so many young women playing rock and roll too. But the whole idea was, you're going to pick up girls you're going to meet. And, and, uh, and, but you know, in my case, you would think after the first 20 or 30 years, I might've figured out I've never met a girl yet. This is not likely to uh, be the way to do that. <laughs> but I think it was the legitimate excuse or illegitimate excuse. You know, the idea was I could, I could talk to women and, uh, and 
if you write songs about hacking people up, that's probably not a good idea. <laughs> okay, ladies' choice. Here's another one about killing somebody. <laughs> but but did you find you were at least connecting with people? So maybe you weren't landing smoking yeah, dates, you know, but the, maybe people were connecting with you after the show because they liked what you're doing, and that was still giving you a chance to have that interaction and it's, and uh, that be sort of the reason for it. It's hard to uh, say. Yes, that probably is uh, you know the whole thing because I pro- I certainly have a lot more acquaintances now at least. No, I, I should say I probably have a lot more acquaintances and really good friends because of doing this. Uh, yeah, I mean it's 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 what I needed to do. So well, and even if you're singing about things that aren't autobiographical like music is very much bearing your soul yeah you're going up and similar to comedy you're doing something that you wrote generally or that you're having to perform whether it's somebody else's song or not and you're just hoping everybody gets it you know well in and some there's ways a huge vulnerability to that it, so it, that's that is a way to connect even just for other people to see that you're doing that in some ways i i think that it's almost all autobiographical up to a point even if it's a, a what i'm thinking of as a a dark, funny murder thing. I'm, I'm certainly not going to murder anybody, but I am interested in Edison, you know, the whole connection of Fort Myers and everything, you know, there, there's something personable, personal about uh, almost all of it uh, for me one way or another. I expect there is with you. I mean, it's one thing about this love affair that you remember from, you know, when you were a kid, but it, it is also something with the furthest out, just stories that you tell. You know, I the, think you, there's no way you can avoid yeah. giving away some of yourself, well, even and, in the most fictional, you know. And even though I, I, I admit to this whole idea of socially awkward, uh, I will tell anybody anything. You know, the, talking about therapists and that sort of thing. Therapists like me, too. Uh, music writers and therapists <laughs> like me. Therapists like me, I think, because it's like, well, you're easy, you know, it's a, I will tell anybody anything, and uh, I think usually that's not the case. You know, they have to work for a while to get you loosened up, and uh, not me. So, yeah. I think that's one of the most appealing things about your music is because you obviously give it all. You give it away in every everything you you sing and write. Yeah, I've always, I, uh, you know, the analogy for me has always been, and it's maybe even more important now because of, our government. But uh, for me, everything comes down to gorgeous George and wrestling. And I never had any yeah, interest me, me in, in the good guys. The How many that, times have I said that? Yeah, all uh, the time. He says it every day. The, the, the uh, you know, the ones, the clean cut good guys, I can't remember what they're referred to and, you know, in that business, but the ones who could go home at, at night. The heroes? And, yeah. Put on a coat and tie and go to church the next morning. I, I have no interest in those guys. I want the 400-pound guy who shaved his head and who doesn't mind slitting his own forehead with a razor blaze of the blood. And that's the way I feel about my music. You know, I want to, uh, if if I can't bleed on the floor for it, I don't have a whole lot of interest, you know. Is that so. is that the, what was his name, Warren Novak? Warren is that, Novak. Is that the Warren Novak that's, that That's what I this love so This is the so guy. Much. Yeah, yeah. He, he's, he's it. He's and, the real deal. And people like Sid Vicious. And, uh, you know, Sid Vicious. How did you get interested in writing uh, Room 100? Well, this is so, uh, I, uh, I miss more in uh, pop culture than I take in. I mean, I'll miss a whole decade at a time. And I missed every single thing about punk. When they first called anything punk, I thought, well, this is great. I love the idea that it's going to go back in the hands of kids and it's going to be simple. We're going to get rid of what's made it. And then idiots took it over and Warner Brothers signed the Sex Pistols. And it's like, well, this is just stupid. So I never, I never had any interest in any of it at all. The, the only ones that stand out in my mind now are the Clash and the Ramones and, and people who wrote songs, you know, right. honestly. But the, the story, as I would hear it, about Sid and Nancy, I just thought was magnificent. It was, you know, Romeo and Juliet. So I was interested in that. I'm glad you asked me about this because this is one of the only songwriting stories I have. But um, I knew I wanted to write a song about their love affair and the tragedy at the end. And so I, you know, looked up to find a few things. I didn't know very much about it at all. Got enough to put things together and knew that I was going to write a song. And I was going to play, I was in the car on the interstate. I think I was going to Skipper's Smokehouse, in fact. And this chorus uh, came into my uh, head, shine, shine, shine like a bag of jewels for me. 
uh, uh, I'll vein open of like, gold. shine yeah. like a vein of gold for me and I'll open like a bag of jewels and I'll set you free. And I thought, God, I kind of like that. I hope I can remember it till I get to Skipper's. I'm yeah. glad you did because I, I love that. Well, chorus, I, yeah. I got there and I wrote it down and I thought, what the hell does this even mean? And uh, a day or two later, I realized, well, this is the chorus. This is the whole thing for my yeah. song about Sid and Nancy. So I hurried up and scratched out a couple of verses, and, and that thing kind of wrote itself. I had no idea. That I was not thinking about Sid and Nancy when I wrote that uh, chorus. But I love how it pits that against the, like you said, the tragic ending. Yeah. Uh, you know, because really the heart of the song is is the excitement and the love and the good thing about yeah. falling in love. Well, and apparently she really was out to save him too. I, I, I talked to a good friend of mine the other day who said, yeah, I went to college with Nancy Spungen. She, she lived right down the hall and uh, at the uh, university of Colorado. I was like, really? Yeah. So, well, it's an interesting song. You mind playing that one for us? Yeah, no, that'd be great. Yeah. Woke up in a blood-soaked bed Struggled through a mess in his mind He rubbed his eyes and he staggered to his feet Prayed that he wasn't gonna find Dirty dagger from the Times Square chip joint Sticking from a gash in her side Knew in his heart Life was gone, he remembered what she said and he cried And she said shine Shine, shine like a vein of gold for me I'll open like a bag of jewels and I'll set you free Chasing her muse and a rotten boy caught her eye She soon found a real pistol, the bag of bad habits She taught him how to laugh and how to cry They fought and they swore and they laughed and they nodded Watched as the sun went down Doing their hearts Light was gone, but they were up for the bell in the round. And she said, shine, shine, shine like a vein of gold for me. I'll open like a bag of jewels and I'll set you free. been the trial of the century if he'd lived that long but the press knew he never could his poor baby had been nothing not desperate for love she's the only one who ever understood all the dope and the fame and the sex and the money meant nothing in the February snow heart light was gone he stuck a needle in his arm for the show and she said shine 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 like a vein of gold for me baby I'll open like a bag of jewels and I'll set you free I'll shine Shine like a vein of gold for me Baby, I'll open like a bag of jewels And I'll set you free 
we're talking about uh, dark songs. I, I I didn't do it for any reason. I mean, even though I really liked the song, but my friend uh, Rod McNerlin, uh from Kentucky, I, I just wanted to cover one of his songs. So the first one I thought of was this song, Powder and Lead. Okay. Which I do really love, but I, I didn't pick it for any particular reason. It's like, well, here's one of his, and so I'll do that. And a review in some magazine said, uh, Rob McNerland's uh, song, Powder and Lead, you know, is really good, and it's always been one of my favorite Rob McNerland songs. When Ronnie Elliott does it, it's disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's what like a compliment. A, yeah, that's what I thought. And now, a quick interlude about one of the companies supporting this podcast. Ed, I think we can both agree that the best tasting songs are those that happen naturally. That's true. Wait, you can't really taste a song, though. That part's not... That's also true of the food we choose to consume, which is why our favorite new artist on the healthy protein charts is ButcherBox. 100% grass-fed beef delivered on dry ice to your door anywhere in the lower 48. So, does that make Alaska like the upper... Ed, just open the box. If you're into more genres than just beef, ButcherBox has you covered. They also deliver Alaskan wild sockeye salmon, free-range organic chicken... Wow, there's got to be like 11 pounds of meat in here. Heritage breed pork and special bacon. Special bacon? Special, because it's free. Use code SONGDIVERS at checkout to get $20 off and free bacon in your first butcher box. And shipping's free too. Special bacon and special shipping. That's special. Now, can you grill as well as you can play guitar? Visit ButcherBox.com to order. All right. So, and you said you really need a reason to to write, and so I need a reason to finish. I think we should do an album of murder ballads. Yeah, we can do some reach back into some old, you know, folk anthologies and and do some some traditional ones. But then you need to write more murder ballads. I think I probably will. (laughs) You know, I'll tell you where another one came from. (laughs) Um, I really didn't mean to focus just on. on Yeah, no, that's okay. The dark Um, side. We, uh, Walt and I, uh, Walt Buckland, my friend Walt yeah. Buckland and I, uh, ended up rooming with, uh, Doug Song in, okay. in Lake Tahoe one From weekend. Doug, uh, Sir Doug. Sir Doug in, uh, Texas. Texas tornadoes yeah. and all kind of things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, Doug and I immediately hit it off and, you know, there were just all kind of things, Amos Nandy and his special coffee brew. And we just, you know, and, and I had played with the, uh, Sir Douglas Quintet at a show in Clearwater in like 1965, you know, so it's like, I mean, we'd never really met or anything, but um, something came up about New Mexico and I was saying, I've never really seen much of the West. I mean, I've been in Texas and then I've been in California, but everything in the middle I've missed. And he and I were talking about New Mexico and I said, I've always wanted to see Silver City just because of the name. And he said, you've never been? I said, no. He said, oh, it's just like what you think from the name. You know, they ride into town, kill a cowboy or two, and they go home. And I said, oh, my God, let's write a song. And he just stared at me for a minute and walked away. And <laughs> so the only, the only reason I wrote They Don't Rob the Trains anymore is because he had given me such a good line that I just couldn't bear throwing it away. So I, <laughs> I wrote a whole song without him. He rode into town. Two or three times a year. He'd kill a cowboy too, and then he'd go home. The sheriff in Silver City didn't think of him as much of an outlaw. The town folks cleared a path for crazy old Jerome. That big old pistol that belonged to his pop was big and it was rusty. Jersey looked more like a mule than a stallion on any given day. The voices in his head told Jerome that he was a bad man. He thought of Jesse James and he tried to live his life that way. They don't rob the trains anymore They don't rob the trains anymore 
a new century in New Mexico. They don't rob the trains anymore. Doug's song was the opposite, if there is an opposite, of uh, socially awkward. I mean, it's just yak, yak, yak. You know, he never shut up. It was. Uh, wow, you found a way to shut up Doug's song? <laughs> I certainly <laughs> did, yeah. I'm not going to stand here and talk to this socially awkward guy. I'm leaving. It's, uh, well, it's interesting that you, you say you never had a problem telling people stuff, but also that you were seeking connection and, you know, found yourself or, or through feedback to be socially awkward. Well, and, and I mean, if you get me rolling, uh, you can't, sometimes you can't shut me up. Yeah. I mean, you know, on stage it can be yak, yak, yak. Is he ever going to shut up? And often, uh, yeah, that's what uh, I think. The, <laughs> the next night it can be that I have a very hard time saying thank you at the end of the song. <laughs> and I never know which one's coming. You and I have always, it's always been yak, yak, yak. And neither one of us, I would consider big, outgoing talkers that's true i I don't yeah it is it's true there's something i feel comfortable i think we're kindred spirits Uh, apparently so So, yeah and i think a lot of i'm when you talked about that i really identified with that because i think that's why i write because i can express myself whereas a lot of times in conversation i have trouble expressing myself there's something about sitting down and putting pen to paper and putting it to music it allows me to to craft it enough to yeah. put it out there. Like I, it's my way of. See, I, I don't so, even so much do. Mine is almost kind of like it burst onto the thing, and that's it. You know, I'd say. Uh, I, I'm, but I think maybe it comes a little bit from the same. Oh yeah, impulse. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So. It, it's just a different the way we end up getting it on there. But you know, as much as I have and always will love NRBQ. Terry Adams thing of, no, you never rewrite anything. You just do this. Well, some of their records aren't very good because they should have. (laughs) And uh, I don't know that mine would have ever gotten any better if I'd spent any more time. But I don't feel I I will never use a throwaway. I I won't write a line that I don't like to make it rhyme. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm going to, but I won't go back and rewrite something. <laughs> That's interesting. I was going to ask you about that because your, your songs, and I'm going to, this is going to be hard for me to express all at once, but I feel like blurting it all out. I, I feel like your blog is as musical as your songs. They're, they're almost the same thing. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and it just feels to me like, it's interesting to hear you say that you don't rewrite and you don't spend time. Yeah. Uh, because to me, it feels very literary and crafted. Like you spent time rewriting, rewriting it. But now that I'm, it, it's a lot like a, a bird feeding the babies. You know, it's just kind of regurgitated, right? <laughs> and that's it. That's that's that one. And uh, well, Steve Connolly can describe it better than anybody. It's like I suppose that's the one you want to keep. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. It's, uh, but it's interesting too that you 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 do that what you said where you're trying to get something out you can't just say you know and so I think and then all of a sudden it turns into something you're perfecting because now it's an object you know or this almost tangible thing that you're just trying to get right so other people will accept it but I mean that's something that I've always been really drawn to music for is that um, yeah, obviously I'm a very shy person uh, so I needed a lot of different ways to get out my feelings and I. I I think that it's more of like some things are almost more acceptable when they're put in a song or in a painting or develop, you know, given to you in art form rather than you just blurting out. Like, I think also, too, you're allowed to not be so specific or right or resolved in a song in maybe ways that stories people crave that just a story would or that, you know, a written narrative would. But this idea like life is really messy and there there are some generally accepted principles, but there's also like there are no rules. You know, and so there's so many things that you're just, it seems like the older I get, the more I know, the less I know, and the less I know what to do. That's the only lesson there is. And and process stuff. And it feels like things that would be so hurtful just saying to somebody, you could put in a song and they would sit there and take it. Yeah, I I don't, um, I certainly wouldn't uh, end up telling everybody all the things that are in the songs. But then again, I wouldn't sit there and talk as much as I have sat here and sung either. So that's probably got a lot to do with it. So 
What do you got coming up? I, I know you have a few shows uh, that you're going to be doing soon. Yeah, um, not not much though. I, mm-hmm. I um, that was another conversation with Gerv Morlicks the other night. It's like, so where have you been? Are you traveling? I haven't seen you. You haven't been. I said, no, nobody, nobody asked. So, and he laughed and said, well, they're not going to come looking for you. It's like, well, yeah, you're probably right. But in so, a way, is that how it's been? Uh, it's the, been moving. Past? It's been moving more and more this way. You know, <laughs> I, I haven't looked for work in some period of time, and he's absolutely correct. They're not going to come and look for me. <laughs> it's funny that Gurf just popped up again, back to back interviews. Well, Ronnie really? and I were talking about that before we we started the interview. So we just yeah. interviewed Joshua Riley. Yeah, you know, so he'll be on our next episode coming out right before you. Well, I don't know if Stefan even knows Gurf Morlicks was here. Uh, doing a house concert or two. Yeah. Uh, I, he, he comes pretty much once a year. He loves staying at Graham's place. Okay. Fine. Very yeah. entertaining. And so, and we usually get together when he's here. Uh, well, there was a, uh, there was a Mexican restaurant on Hillsborough Avenue that, you know, was our, our bond, but it has just closed down and I had to break his heart and tell him the other night. So. Maybe he won't be back now. He might not. That could be <laughs> Garibaldi's. It's gone. R.I.P. As nearly as I can tell. So, R- Ronnie, what do you what do you listen to? I mean, I'm, I'm nothing. Guess a, a lot of. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you listen to any of the stuff that you were brought up with? Any of the bands? Like, do you listen to Chuck Berry? Uh, sometimes, you know, I've been doing a radio show off and on for uh, I don't know four or five years now, I guess. Rhythm Revival? Yeah, Rhythm Revival on WMNF. But um, I'm going to do the last one that I plan to do this Friday, in fact. But um, I I listen to things. When I've got an excuse to go digging around to put together a show, I listen to music. But in general, I just have the radio on in the car and, you know, something plays. That's, That's great. But I find myself just almost not listening to anything at all. I heard Daniel Lanois give a... Uh, keynote uh, address at South by Southwest one year. And uh, some kid in the audience raised his hand and said, what do you listen to at home? And he said, nothing. And there was this huge gasp all through this big auditorium. And he said, no, I, I don't, uh, I, I don't like music. It's just some background thing. When I listen to music, I want to really listen to what, well, that's not me. It's just, uh, I, I don't, take it very seriously at all. I just happen not to. Says the guy with 12 records. (laughs) I've got everything on, you know, my computer. Uh, If if there's some piece of music that I don't have, it's because I don't know about it. But, uh, you know, that's been the great freeing process of getting rid of records and CDs and everything like that. But um, I wish I listened to music. I wish I planned to go home right now and turn it on and have it playing, but I just don't do it. Yeah, And, And I also... Maybe it's a, uh, I, I think my attention span is kind of built on a little Richard duration, you know, two minutes and seven minutes seconds and or something like seconds. that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but I don't, I, I don't want to hear just Chuck Berry or, uh, yeah. uh, or bluegrass or anything. You know, I want it to, I want to be surprised all the, right. which is why I think yeah. I loved NRBQ so much. Mm-hmm. Here they are again. But when they would go on stage and, uh, uh, They're so eclectic. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, who knew knew what might happen when they started to play, and and that's that's what I want to hear. I think it's funny uh, about like wanting to hear something that surprises you, you know, like in the ear craving more and more and more, which is is insane to think about when you think about all the music that's out there now, yeah, and everything competing for your attention. Um, but but it's also interesting that you know, like I I love. Dawes and Jason Isbell and, you know, Ray LaMontagne and, you know, like there's surprises. And when you re-listen to stuff, sometimes you're surprised again. Now, going back and listening to the Beatles now, for me, I always hear something oh, new. Yeah. I didn't catch, yeah. you know. But at the same time, I also love, um, you know, Muse and bands like Grey Market that are just, this. it's still pop, but it's so interesting. And the sounds are so interesting that it's just like this, like, oh, oh my gosh. It's almost know? too much to absorb at one listen. It is almost too much, but it also feels really good. It's like a, you know, like a hit of something, you know, and the first time you're processing it. And there is a, there is a real joy to that as a, you know, as oh, a yeah. music listener. Yeah. And, the, the, and like you say, you can be surprised again. I don't see how you can be surprised by the same thing twice. But I know any of the soundtrack from um, A Hard Day's Night can just knock me back on my heels again. If I hear uh, uh, If I Fell, 
it's like, oh my God, it, it's just like I've never heard that thing. Oh, or uh, up through help, you know, when mm-hmm. the, when they start doing those background things on you're going to lose that girl. It's just almost the end of me. It's you know? funny you mentioned if I fell that is so rich you can almost not believe it's just two voices. Yeah, on that. Like, yeah, it's just such a perfect record. Yeah. So. Ronnie, what would you say your favorite gig you ever played was? And holding up Jimi Hendrix's amp is not counting. <laughs> uh, uh, possibly the one that comes to mind, and I'm not sure if it's because we talked about it or not, but that last time I ever worked with Chuck Berry I mean, was that's way up to there. Talk. It was, uh, I just was so, I mean, it was incredible to stand behind him and watch him. You know, it, it was just unbelievable. And the fact when we finished and I glanced at my watch and I thought we'd played for an hour and a half and I still felt like I was worn out and like I've never played that long in my life. And it wasn't until we, you know, went backstage that I took another look and saw we'd played for two and a half hours. And it it was, uh, it was fun for the whole two and a half hours. So that was pro- that, that that's what comes to mind. And, and having an experience like that, maybe you don't have one of these. But one thing we like to ask each guest is: what, Is there a gig you wish you'd gotten to do? Like if, and it could be completely off the reservation. But like somebody you wish you got to play with or open for or stage oh. you want to be on. Like something you, you sit back at night and you go, "If heaven is a choice I make, this is the thing, the show I want to repeat." You well, know? I, I don't even know about. Uh, shows for playing because I've been so lucky in that way. But there are, when I rattle off uh, people that I've seen that I got to watch perform, I think about the heroes of mine that I never saw. I never saw the Beatles. I never saw Fats Domino. Um, uh, there, there are just a, a, a lot of people. I never saw Buddy Holly, Richie Valens. Uh, there are so many of my heroes that I missed uh, seeing perform. I, I, I would see all these wonderful shows that my mom would take me to see uh, in Tampa when I was a kid. And uh, years later, I, I was working in an electric supply place with this guy who was a couple of years older uh, than I was. And he told me about a show at the uh, Armory in Tampa. Um, it was uh, uh, Buddy Holly, um, Little Richard, Laverne Baker, and I can't remember who else was on the uh, uh, on the bill. Oh, and the Everly Brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he said the uh, that <laughs> little Richard took Buddy Holly's guitar and chased Laverne Baker up and down the aisles, uh, poking her in the butt with the uh, with the uh, Stratocaster. It was like, and I missed that. How, how on earth did I? And uh, yes, I, I miss. Uh, I'm sorry, I saw that. One thing though that I can't remember which time I saw. Her, Saw her several times, but uh, uh, Laverne Baker, I think it was that show in 1956, but uh, when they introduced Laverne Baker, the band started playing um, Tra La La or one of those hits of hers, but, you know, it was that, and she came out, uh, you know, between the stage and the audience and stood at the uh, edge of the stage and snapped her fingers, and two of the uh, band guys came down and lifted her up by her elbows and put her on stage. Her dress was too tight to walk up the steps. Wow. And I thought, man, that's rock and roll. That that's is it. rock and roll. Yeah. So in terms of goals for the next year, couple of years, what do you, what do you want to accomplish? And generally this is a musical answer, but we're going to bill you for therapy either way. So yeah, you're welcome right. to that's answer a, life in general if you want. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd like an excuse to uh, finish some songs. And, uh, and probably the reason I haven't done that in so long is I don't really know what they do with recordings now. You know, what, what do you do with a CD? And that becomes problematic. So uh, probably uh, write some songs and uh, that's, that's probably it. Well, that's, that still sounds great. We're going to hold you to that. Okay. So I want to hear those songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, we're supposed to write some together. So I'd say, yeah. Well, you're, yeah, we're going to do that. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be a murder ballad. Oh, yeah. Maybe if I start off with murder ballads in mind, I'll write truly funny songs and we won't have any more murder ballads. Although I did start writing one about Bonaventura Cemetery in Savannah. And I, I think that's the one that I talked to you about. Like, you have to help me finish that one. So I'm ready. I'm ready. I've, I've got a, a free schedule. So the murder songs are interesting. We we going back to Josh Riley, who was on the show uh, before. He leads a songwriter night, which I, he yeah. played featured yeah. a featured guest before, which is an excellent performance. Um, 
And, you know, he, he issued the, the topic of, of murder. You know, that was one of the things. And then he wrote this song that was like, all right, dude, let's be real. You killed someone. Because it was just so good and real. Yeah. And, you know, I was like, I hope there's no cops in here because yeah. this this feels like he did this, you know. Less funny, less funny, but but a great song. Yeah. Well, you're you're playing at the Hideaway Cafe uh, on April 18th. Is that what it is? I think you said that to it's me. It's April 18th or 19th or something okay. like that. It's, All right. Yeah. Well, check out Ronnie's blog and uh, come out to Hideaway Cafe and anywhere else you see Ronnie playing. Old Florida, uh, Old, Old Key, Key West. West. Yeah, we're doing something. We're doing uh, Grant Peoples and I are doing something in April also. Yeah. Okay, great. Awesome. Ronnie, thanks so much for doing it, man. Thank yeah, you for thank having you. me. Thanks for the hospitality. Yeah, I've pleasure. enjoyed it. Thank you. Come back and see you soon. I will. Gorgeous George was a mighty, mighty man. Gorgeous George. Bleach blonde hair and a Hollywood tan. Gorgeous George. Shocking pink tight and sissy white shoes. Gorgeous George. Chanel number 10 and expensive booze. Gorgeous George. You've been listening to Song Divers. The opinions of our guests are their own. And in this episode, we heard the songs Burn, Burn, Burn and Room 100 from Ronnie's Poisonville album. We also heard Mr. Edison's electric chair from Valentine Roadkill. They don't rob the trains anymore from My Nerves Are Bad Tonight. And Gorgeous George from Ronnie's Hep album. Gorgeous George. Gold bobby pins and a purple Cadillac. Gorgeous George. Pretty robe, a turkey feather spread across his back. George. Thank you to Ronnie Elliott for coming by the studio. If you want to hear more of Ronnie, check him out on iTunes or Spotify. Or if you enjoyed Ronnie's content as much as we did, check out Ronnie's famous and free-loving blog at ronnieelliott.blogspot.com. Ronnie's spelled R-O-N-N-Y and Elliott is E-L-L-I-O-T-T. Frankie Lyman and the Teenagers, Big Joe Turner, the Teen Queens, the Platters, Bill Haley and the Comets, Bo Diddley, the Drifters, Clyde McFadder, Laverne Baker, Elvis Presley, Don Smith, Warren Novak, Greg and Dwayne Allman, the Ravons, Barry Oakley. Song Divers is a production of Ybor City Records and recorded in the historic Kenwood district of St. Petersburg, Florida. Oakley, Buddy Holly, The Tropics, Charlie Sousa, Eric Turner and Buddy Pendergrass, The Beatles, Spencer Hinkle, The Outsiders, Soul Trippers, Buddy Richardson, Bobby Caldwell, Noah's Ark, Your Local Bear, Jimi Hendrix, Duck Butter, Harry, Gene Vinson, The Coasters.